The Integrated Personnel and Pay System Army is supposed to bring about a new era of benefits management for soldiers and the National Guard. But its rollout has been plagued by delays over the past year, and now the Army recently decided to push back the latest release of the program once again. We get the latest from Federal News Network, Scott Massioni. What's going on, Scott, with this long-promised program? (laughs) Right, well... We've seen a close to a year delay in release three, which is one of the more landmark iterations of this program because it gives essential personnel services and talent management abilities to active duty reserve and guard soldiers. This release three had been previously delayed and is now being delayed to an undetermined time. They're saying it may not be as long as the previous delay. But what what is causing this is they saw that there were issues with the stress testing and also with the feedback from soldiers on how it was being used. What they were doing was they were doing something called a brownout. This brownout was going to take offline some of these legacy HR systems and then bring online the IPSA. That's the specific thing that they're delaying right now. So soldiers themselves won't really see much of a difference. They're just going to see the old system that they've always used. But those legacy systems are going to be continuing on later in the year, much longer than the Army was initially expecting. That may also add to some increased costs, considering this is supposed to bring down some of the duplicative systems that the Army's been using. This delay then, what about the bigger program here? It's part of a whole transformation that's much larger than just the pay and personnel? It's mainly focused on pay and personnel, but it brings in something the Army's been working on for quite a while, which is changing their talent management system. So in the past, you really don't have that much of a say in how you want to go out and find your next job within the Army. So this management system allows people to put up a certain resume, basically, and to look at different jobs that are within the Army in different positions and duty orders that they might be interested in and match them with the commanders that would work best for them. So it's really an interesting and and new way that the Army can work that's much more 21st century focused on how soldiers can end up in a job that they'll really like and hopefully bring in more retention for the Army. And does the program need the pay and benefits system in place to move on to some of these other higher level functions? We don't really know for sure. I think that they're just supposed to do these sorts of things in tandem. The more personnel and benefits side of things really just gives people a lot of the mobile access to the pay and benefits that we all in the private sector see pretty often. You know, you can check on your phone how you're doing with your paycheck or when it's going to be delivered put in your hours, take time off, and that sort of thing. Instead of having to send in some sort of form to your commander through paper, you can do this all on your phone or while you're already on vacation or whatever you need to do. So while this delay is on then, what about the rest of the program? Does it kind of sit here in in limbo? Last October, the Army said that it was going to be delaying this rollout until this September. Now we're seeing this is going to be pushed back at least a couple weeks, if not longer than that. So, uh, you know, that's what's delaying a huge part of this. Now, there were the two previous iterations, and that rolled out some of these benefits for National Guard members and some active duty members as well. However, it's just really basic stuff and laying a lot of the groundwork for the IPSA. So right now, the program is on hold, and it's quite a big program. It's really pushing about a billion dollars. The Army originally awarded a $159 million contract to Khaki in 2015 to develop this program. Then it won a second two-year award for $112 million, 
And then over time, it's been, you know, beefed up to about 900 million when you add add on testing, support, implementation, and then other sorts of development and training that the Army has created for this system. And when you say that it didn't survive the stress test that the Army put it through, that means it can't scale at this point. And that's why they're sticking with yeah. the existing systems. They're, they're really trying to fix and replan this system to ensure that once it's out, it's seamless for people because a lot of people are going to be using this. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people if you're, you're putting in the army, pushing a million if every, every single person, including the National Guard, decides to do this. So it's going to be quite a large program. And if it, it messes up, we could see something like back when the healthcare.gov came out, you know, it, it ended up being kind of over overrun and people couldn't get on and get the essential services that they needed. After this, just to mention this, you know, this isn't going to be the last iteration of this program. There's still quite a few other iterations that are planned in further dates. Obviously, those are being pushed out farther as well because of some of these delays. So not exactly the perfect example for the Army, but this time slippage is probably going to help them in the long run in order to get a program that is going to benefit the soldiers the most. Right. And the importance of this to the Army, then, is retention and perhaps even recruitment if people know that they can manage a career in the Army on this system in a more effective way than they could in the old system. That's exactly right. And it's not just for the soldiers. This is for commanders, too. A commander can go out and say, I need someone who has cyber skills and also who um, you know, is really good at infantry for some reason and likes to play basketball, maybe. You, know, you get to put some of your more fun attributes about yourself on these lists as well. So commanders can find that exact sort of person that they need to fill out their command and hopefully better the commands and better the army in general. But as you were saying, when it comes to retention, I mean, just to have a mobile application for your basic pay and benefits, as we all know, is very helpful and just in our everyday lives. But then ending up in a place like Hawaii or Texas or something like that, where you're, you're close to family or you're close to the beach or whatever you want to be, these sorts of opportunities with this talent management system are really going to be beneficial for soldiers, especially when you don't have a lot of control over the you know military life that you're living. Federal News Network Scott Mossioni, thanks so much. Thank you. And check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to it? as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser, 
And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might've had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called Labor and Employee Relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. 
I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, I'm not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Reconnect with a carpool or vanpool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply.